Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text is today's Gospel lesson. Please be seated. My friends, in order to understand this passage before us, we need to turn the clock back a little bit. You see, it had been six days since Peter made that great confession at Caesarea Philippi, that same confession that people have been making now for 2,000 years, Jesus, you are the Christ. Or in other words, you're the one. You're the Messiah. You're the one that the whole Old Testament is about, it pointed to. You're the one that we've been waiting for. The fate of the whole world is on you and in your hands, and you alone can save us all. All of that is packed into the four words of Peter's confession, you are the Christ. Now it seems at first at this point as if Peter is, is seeing things more clearly than usual, that he's finally starting at this point in Jesus' ministry to come around, beginning to understand why Jesus came, what his ministry was about. But of course, what Peter had in mind by his great confession was that Jesus would rescue and deliver the nation. That he would deliver Israel from the power and the might of the Romans and not free Israel from the power of sin. So it was rather a shock when Jesus came back so strong against Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of men, uh, things of God. You have the things of men in mind. So Jesus took Peter aside. And Peter was there and he began to rebuke Jesus. And I want you to imagine that scene Peter rebuking Jesus, attempting to correct Jesus, giving Jesus advice. Imagine someone questioning Jesus' word or his will or his plan. Now when we think about it, it's not so very hard to imagine because that is still done daily Many times by faithful Christians, even faithful Christians like you and me. So suddenly, our text says, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of men. And you know, that's a good point. Who does? Who really does have in mind the things of God? Who thinks God's thoughts or knows God's ways? Well, the answer, of course, is there only, there's only one, and that's Jesus himself. 
So it turns out that really Peter hadn't seen things very clearly at all. He hadn't seen really what the Old Testament was all about. That Jesus would come and rescue and deliver and save his people from their sin by suffering, dying, and rising. So it's six days later. That's the way our text began. And it's against this backdrop that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain in order to correct their ideas about the purpose of his ministry. And there it is that he is transfigured before them. And his clothes become radiant, intensely white. Oh, what it would have been to see that. Brighter than anyone on earth could bleach them. The other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, both make mention of Jesus' clothes literally glowing. They also both add his face shone like the sun. Oh, to be a witness. Jesus showed them his true divine majesty and glory. He showed them his divine nature. And for a brief moment, his divine nature overshadowed the human nature that he was so accustomed to showing the people during his ministry here on earth. And you know, we might ask, why didn't Jesus let his glory show all the time? Why was it just for a few moments on the top of that mountain? Why not for all of the 33 years of his ministry, or at least, at least those three years of his public ministry? And I would respond to that question by saying, what are those miracles that we have been studying throughout this epiphany season? What about the many healings that Jesus performed? Raising people from the dead. Didn't he let his glory show and often? It isn't that Jesus doesn't want us to see him in his divine nature. He does. And I might point out, we will. Everyone who believes will on the day that he chooses to show us, the day we go to him in heaven. But for now, for now we see Jesus in the flesh. And we need to see him in human form, just like us, so that when he is crucified for us on the cross, we can see him as our true substitute, as one of us that he died there in our place. And so Jesus kept his divine nature often hidden up until now, now that he is making his way toward the cross, making his way toward Jerusalem. Besides, as we look at Peter, James, and John, when they see this divine nature of Christ, what does the text tell us? What's their reaction? As Mark writes, they were terrified. They were scared out of their minds. 
And as we can well imagine, seeing the divine nature of God while in a sinful state can be terrifying. It certainly could be terrifying for us. We may begin to think that we're doing pretty good, we Christians, at keeping the will of God. We come to church. We do our best to try and keep the Ten Commandments. We like to count the ways that, that we've been faithful. The ways we've improved in following Jesus. And then, when we start to feel pretty good about ourselves, we see Jesus in his divinity, his perfect obedience to the will of the Father. And it could shatter us when we see that. For we begin to see the sin that we are literally drowning in. We remember those times when we thought like Peter, that we know better than Jesus. The times that we wanted to do things our way instead of God's way. And when we see his divinity up against our sinfulness, we begin to understand Peter's words where he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. We never see things clearly in this world unless we see Jesus, unless we see him in the flesh and on the cross, there crucified to pay the price for our sin. And then the text says, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. The law and the prophets represented there. And we might ask, what were they talking about? Inquiring minds want to know. They were talking about the only thing that matters. The only thing that counts the only thing that makes any difference in the end, the crucifixion that Jesus was about to face for the sins of the world and his resurrection from the dead. This is what all of heaven is continually talking about. Angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And then... That cloud overshadowed them, and the voice, the voice of the Father came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. But oh, how it's hard to just listen. We want to do something. We want to participate. We want our turn. We want to do our fair share. Peter wanted to make three-tenths, one for each of them there. Why? You know, we really don't know why, but the text makes it clear he just didn't know what to say. He just felt like he should say something or do something. But the Father told us in this account 
exactly what it is that we are to do because it says we are to listen to him. That's what that voice was saying from the cloud, the voice of the Father. If we just listen, we hear our Savior say to us, I've done it all. It is finished. When it comes to your salvation, there's nothing more that you need to do. I'll speak for you. There's nothing for you to say. I'll blot out your sin with my blood. I'll conquer your foes. You need only be still and believe. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus. Jesus only. Now isn't that the whole point? Seeing Jesus and listening to him? It certainly is the whole point for us today. Because Jesus is the object of our faith. Jesus only. Not Jesus and our good works. Not Jesus and our good intentions. Not Jesus and all our excuses. Jesus only. And how appropriate that is. It's Jesus only who the Father sees when he has mercy upon us. He doesn't see our good works or our good intentions, nor does he see our sins. He sees Jesus only, perfect, faithful, obedient unto death. And for Jesus' sake, the Father does not count our sins against us. It's Jesus only who will satisfy. Jesus only who will save us. Jesus only who will deliver us and present us to his Father. Soon, and I would say very soon, in the larger scheme of things, we will stand as Moses and Elijah already do, changed and radiant in heaven, putting on that robe of righteousness. But our time for transfiguration has not yet come. So what are we to do? We know that we're not to build three tents on the mountain, stay there up there on that mountaintop. We're to follow Jesus and only Jesus as he leads us to the cross, the cross of our salvation in the empty tomb. My friends, it is the Lenten season that helps us to do that. It's an important time in the church year to be together and faithfully hear and study God's Word and see the gospel of salvation unfold before our very eyes. And I pray that this Lent that is exactly what will happen for you. You'll follow Jesus as he progresses through his suffering and death and then the resurrection. 
will make so much more sense and may bring such more joy in our lives. It's as we follow him to the cross and it's as we gladly take up our own that we see clearly with the perfect vision of faith. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.